Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man in whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is the Word of God, and we give thanks to Him for it. If you have Bible, please keep open there at John 1. And today we're looking at 29 to 34. Let's pray together, first of all. Lord, in these moments, we don't want to hear the thoughts of man, but we want to hear your Word. So we pray your Spirit might apply your Word to our hearts and to our lives. And we pray that we'll have listening ears and open minds and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have moved from the, the mighty theology of what we call the prologue, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, to the actual story of Jesus, verse 19 and following. The first 18 verses basically look at Jesus from the angle of all eternity, Jesus is the Word, the pre-existent and eternal Word who made all things, who is light and life, who is the invisible God himself, and he took on flesh, and he came and lived among us. That's really what the prologue is trying to teach us. But things were pretty dire 2,000 years ago when God became flesh, and two words are often used to describe the situation, silence and darkness. Silence in the sense that for 400 years, God had not spoken. There was a famine of the word of God. We're kind of still in what was called the intertestamental period. A 400-year gap between Malachi, 
and John the Baptist. 400 years where God was silent. And into the silence spoke John the Baptist. I am the voice, he says in verse 23. The silence was absolutely shattered because he came as the mouthpiece of God and he spoke for God. So silence. Darkness is the other word that's linked to this period of time. And of course, there's link between the two because when God is silent, there is no word. When there is no word, there is no light. And when there is no light, there is darkness. So, so John the Baptist, in many ways, was the last of the Old Testament prophets as he comes at the beginning of the New Testament. And he declared the message of God. And the world that he spoke to was, was exhausted, would you believe it? Exhausted with religion that meant nothing and could change nobody. The world was confused and the world was angry. It wasn't a very nice place to live. Does that not sound a wee bit familiar? And for the first time in a very long time, there was, there was hope and there was truth. Now last week we saw how John the Baptist introduced himself this week, we think about how John the Baptist introduces Jesus. And his message through his ministry was basically, Jesus is coming, welcome him. Repent of your sin, get clean. The Lamb of God is here, and he's the Savior of the world. That was basically his message. A simple message, but it took great courage because he didn't have bodyguards, he, he didn't have protection, uh, he didn't have support. It was courageous of him to speak like that because he was poking his finger in the eyes of the political and the religious leaders. It also required great humility because huge crowds came to him, but he kept on saying, I am not the Christ. I am not the answer. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet, but I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the ways or the paths of the Lord. I'm a servant. I'm not even fit to tie the sandals of the Lamb of God. So his main job, as Jeff reminded us again for the prayer of intercession, his main job was to witness about Jesus, to introduce Jesus. Now remember, Jesus didn't appear on the scene with a kind of halo above his head. You know, spot the halo, spot the Savior. He didn't wear kind of a golden robe that would make him stand out. No, he just looked like any other Middle Eastern first century man. So as John the Baptist saw Jesus walk towards him, he was compelled to cry out with a loud voice, Look! Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what he tells us in these few verses, 29 to 34, three things about Jesus. Now, can I tell you, we can't speak about everything in these verses or we would be here for twice as long. So you should be glad we're just going for option one. But he basically saying, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And secondly, look, he's the one, the baptizer, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in salvation. And then thirdly, 
Look, behold, the Son of God. This was revealed to John the Baptist and is also revealed by John the Baptist. Notice verse 31. One of the things we could spend longer looking at, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. What God wants to do today is to reveal to us who Jesus really is. That's his constant desire. Who Jesus really is. And in many ways, presentation number one was verses one to 18. Now we have presentation number two, verses 29 to 34. It's important, really important, that we understand who Jesus really is. And so we might say, we might pray, God, open up our eyes and ears and hearts and souls and help us see Jesus. So these three pictures, what are they? First of all, see Jesus, behold Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, verse 29 to 31, particularly verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, verse 29 is a remarkable statement. One commentator says, this is the Mount Everest of John's witness to who Jesus is. In one sentence, we have the essence of the Christian gospel, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What Jesus is beginning, of course, in a, coming in his ministry as a work of recreation. Genesis 1, we've noticed that Genesis 1 and John 1 are very similar. Genesis 1 is a story of the creation of the universe. In John 1, we, we're starting to see the recreation of humanity. The work that's really bound up in Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Now, eventually, as we know about the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to see the recreation of the whole of the universe. But now, at this time, we're beginning to see the recreation of humanity. And all of it, this recreation of humanity, and eventually the recreation of the universe is all done by and for Jesus. Again, as some we might say is in Genesis 1 with the story of the first Adam and in John 1, we have the second or greater Adam. Jesus is the second Adam, and uh, he's beginning this new humanity. Christ ones, Christians, born of God, different, made to live forever. And this Adam, the second Adam, Jesus will not fail. He will obey God perfectly. Unlike the first Adam, he will make all things new. He will create a brand new people called his family, his church, his body. And so we ask the question, what is the world's greatest problem? If you were to watch the news, you would get a number of different answers, wouldn't you? Environmental damage, is that the world's greatest problem? Rising temperatures? What about violence and war, particularly in Ukraine? 
Or, or what about COVID and cancer? Or what about the cost of living crisis? Or what about the crisis of mental health? There are a whole pile of answers, isn't there? But the biggest problem facing humanity today is that key word in verse 29, the sin of the world. And you know what Jesus is prepared to do for the likes of you and me today, for us? He's, he's willing to take away that one thing, that one thing that will stop you being part of his new people. He wants to take away the one thing in your life that can stop you becoming part of his eternal family. And that thing, of course, is sin. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Alistair McNeely and every other human being. So verse 29 is one of the greatest sentences ever uttered in, in human history as John the Baptist saw Jesus walk towards him. Now our minds can't really grasp, but should try to grasp the importance of the idea of the lamb in Scripture. Genesis 22, we'll be looking at that next Sunday evening. So why don't you come back and, and hear about that? Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice. And what do we read there? God will, himself will provide the lamb for the offering. And he did, of course. And it's a picture of Jesus. Or Exodus 12, which we thought about with the children, the Passover lamb. The blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts and the angel of death passed over. A picture of Jesus. Or Isaiah 53, and we began our service with those verses, 6 and 7. A picture of Jesus. Look, the lamb of God. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The statement in verse 29 tells you that your greatest need is met in the one who's called Jesus, the Lamb of God. And you know, our message, the message of the church, must be based on and filled with the sacrificial death of Jesus. Kent Hughes in his commentary in John says this, Christianity... <coughs> Christianity is a bloody religion. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that reality should, in a sense, be central to our witness, to our worship. I think you'll notice today our songs have been filled with these ideas. And our preaching. If you listen to a preacher long enough, you'll know, does he really believe that the Lamb of God has come he takes away the sin of the world. It's so easy for us to be sidetracked, to be embarrassed by images of blood. It's so easy for us to look for some other kind of approach. But we've got to know that God does not sweep our sin under the carpet. God himself in Christ paid the price of our sin. He came in Christ. He died in Christ. He paid the price of our sin in Christ. By the way, if there was any other way to deal with our sin, don't you think God would have been smart enough to have found it and used it? Revelation 
5 verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, sometimes we can use the word slain and we can domesticate it. But the word slain there means butchered or slaughtered. And so the, the, the saints in heaven are singing the one who is worthy, the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is Jesus, is the slaughtered one. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. One commentator says, the cross is not cute, but it is mightily effective. God, listen to this, God wants to take away your sin those ongoing sins, those secret sins, your original sin. He wants to take it all away. And he takes it away through the Lamb of God. He is able and he is willing. I wonder, do you believe it? Because if you really believe it, then you can live, really live. The catechism teaches us, of course, about what sin is like. Um, um, I think it's number 14. Um, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Sin and misery. What do we mean by sin? We mean original sin. Ongoing actual sin is what follows but our whole nature is corrupted. I mean, our bodies are corrupted. That's why we get sick and why we eventually die. Um, our thinking is corrupted. Our actions are corrupted. Everything is corrupted. Our ambitions, our dreams, our desires, we're all, it's all corrupted. We're children of the fall. We're Adam and Eve children. And that brings us into a state of misery, separated from God, and therefore not satisfied to look to him for satisfaction. And so we look to other things for satisfaction. The miseries of life. The world is miserable because the world does not know Christ. So what can we do about this? What can we do? The answer is nothing. There's nothing we can do. No, no religion, no ritual, no tradition, no superstition, no effort can solve the problem. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the answer. We can do nothing. He does everything. Look at Jesus, don't look at other things. The only answer is Jesus, the sin bearer, the sin payer, the sin taker. And he takes away our original sin. He takes away the miseries of ongoing sin. He gives us life. So see Jesus, who's the Lamb of God. Secondly, see Jesus who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, verse 32 and 33. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
Is this important? Yes. <laughs> what we're talking about here is salvation. We're not talking about some kind of second spiritual blessing after salvation that some would teach. And they would teach it more from the book of Acts, I know, rather than from this verse. But let's, let's realize what it is. It's not some kind of second blessing we're talking about here. We're talking about salvation. And the reason why this is important is that because in our minds, we can agree with verse 29. In our in our minds, intellectually, we can accept verse 29 and we can say, yes, I understand that Jesus being the Lamb of God, that's very important in the Bible. I can see it. Uh, I can see it's very important for the gospel. I can see it's very important for the church. I can understand all that. However, sometimes, sadly many times, We've never received the benefits of that gospel for ourselves as individuals. As we've often pointed out, the reformers look to three parts of saving faith, or justification by faith is three parts. First of all, there's the head knowledge. We've got to have the doctrines in place. There's the heart part, which is the conviction. In other words, the, I accept these truths for myself. And then there's the will, where we are converted. Three parts to saving faith. We've often mentioned that. Well, verse 29, in many ways, is the, the head part, the knowledge part. Verse 32 and verse 33 is the heart and the will bit. You see, Jesus builds his kingdom, builds his body, builds his family by baptizing us, not with religion, not with tradition, not with human methods, but with the Holy Spirit in salvation. He indwells us. He indwells us by himself. He, he saturates us with himself. And he does it by his Holy Spirit. So I, I know some of you, many of you will say, I have no problem, verse 29. Absolutely, no, I, I understand that. But what about this idea of God saving you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? One commentator says this, I am no more saved because I know, I know it in my head than I do if I don't know it at all. I am no more saved because I know it in my head than if I don't know it at all. You see, what Jesus says is that what the gospel says, that the Holy Spirit must invade our souls. He must baptize us for salvation. And one full of the Holy Spirit can baptize us in the Holy Spirit. So do you see the revelation of the real Jesus? Our problem is, of course, we live in a broken world. We're blinded by the evil one. We're corrupted by our pride. We're seduced by false answers. And we need, we need the real Jesus to change us permanently, to make us alive, to baptize us in the Spirit, to create us as new beings and bring us into a new community, his church, his body. You see, there's a building up here of the picture. God takes away our sin. 
and he gives us a new spiritual heart. And he moves us to believe, verse 29, and to receive, verse 33. So do you believe Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? I'm sure, yeah, yeah, you say, yeah, I can do that. I can believe that. But do you believe that he's the baptizer of God who gives us a spirit and a new heart and a new life? Do you believe that? And have you received? I want to say it again because this is so very important. You can't be a Christian. You can't begin the Christian life. You can't have a Christian heart without this salvation. And perhaps for some of you, that's your problem today. You believe with all your heart the theology of verse 29. You have no doubt about it. He is the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sin of the world. I believe that. But you've never really received the work of Jesus the baptizer as he, as he brings salvation into our souls, as, as he takes us from our sin into his salvation. If that's you today, then listen to the words of Paul. Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do you see the, the, the second revelation of who Jesus is so important? The Lamb of God, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. But lastly, see Jesus who is the, the Son of God. Verse 34, very often overlooked. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of of God. Do you know what the problem is? Uh, sin rules in so many, and sin rules so much, and we're left with a chaotic picture in, in mankind. Collapse, confusion all around us. It's a bit like at the end of the book of Judges, is it not? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's a kind of description of the modern world. And when we don't have a king, when we don't have the king, when we don't have the sovereign ruler ruling over us, we create chaos. And we need the chosen one of God, God's son, God's sovereign ruler to rule over us, the son of God to protect us, to empower us as we walk with him through life. And you might be sitting there thinking, do you know what? There's chaos in my life. There's chaos in my family. There's chaos. There's chaos in my community. There's chaos in my world. What is the answer? The answer is the only one who can bring order out of chaos. And John the Baptist saw him. And he says, I have seen it. And I testify to it that this one, Jesus, is the Son of God. And he alone shares the same nature as the Father. As the Father, God becomes flesh and dwells among us. Oh, humanity is in crisis, isn't it? And the message of Jesus is not a kind of, take a little bit of, of a plaster and stick it over the sewer. It's not a, a half-fixed problem 
kind of answer. It's not, a, a, it's not cheap psychology. It's about recreation. That's, that's the gospel answer. That's Jesus' answer. Now, the universe will ultimately be recreated. We're looking forward to that. But now, here, Jesus starts with us. Recreating humanity. And that's what he's doing in the church through salvation, through, yes, the Lamb of God dying for the sin of people, and then the Son of God baptizing us in the Spirit as he enters our life in salvation. And so we've got to see who Jesus really is. As we conclude, you know, our our problem is that we have too low a view of who Jesus really is. And I'm not just talking about non-Christians, even within the church. Sometimes our view of Jesus is kind of small. Do you know what we have done? We've kind of domesticated Jesus. Kind of made him into a little pet for weekend enjoyment and occasional thoughts during the week. Rico Tice talks a lot about making Jesus small. Um, and he kind of, and I hope you don't think this is irreverent, but he, he says, far too many of us have this image of Jesus as a, a hippie in the 90s. Or we're far too many of us have a view of God like he's a granddad in a rocking chair in the clouds. You know, cute and wise and generous, but basically he's lost touch with reality. Too many of us have a view of the Holy Spirit as a ghost-like figure who we ought to be scared of. Our view of God is too small. I think if that's where we're at, we need to repent of that and see him as he is. Particularly today as we think about Jesus. What do we see? Jesus. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need him. Look, Jesus, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit in salvation. We need him. Look, Jesus the sovereign ruler over all our lives. And we need him. Let's understand who he is. And let's know him in all his power and grace and mercy. Lord, we're very thankful for this second introduction to who Jesus really is. And we're encouraged and and challenged And we pray that that you will write this truth in our hearts and lead us into full and complete blessing. Into your hands we commit uh, ourselves, our families, those we know and love. And may you write the truth of the gospel on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.